You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. Welcome back to the Here for the Truth podcast. I'm Joel Rafidi. Got my co-host Eurosimos with me. Today we have Nathaniel Solis joining us once again. He first joined us way back on episode 14. He is one of the key producers in the first two pandemic movies, played a huge role in creating those and bringing those forth. And today we're talking about, in particular, around the context of this epidemic of dopamine addiction that we find ourselves swirling within, which really is detracting from our ability to really connect with our heroic journey, um, you know, create long-lasting, awesome productions of any kind um, and really give our value and Nathaniel's been doing this work, uh, facilitating dopamine detoxes um, through various means for a long time. And this is a really, really awesome conversation. And we, you know, cross into a lot of different subjects as well. Uh, so we hope you enjoy it. Right before we bring Nathaniel on, you know, if you're if you like what we're into, if you like what we're up to, um, if you resonate and you want to be surrounded by people like us and a broader community, please check out our membership platform, Friends of the Truth. We have a very um, buzzing and highly engaged Telegram community, which is separated into various subtopics for you to interact and engage on. Plus, we're offering six live calls a month to be connected with our community um, across different topics, as well as um, with previous podcast guests. In fact, Nathaniel himself will be joining us in the month of November to present a live teaching um, directly for our members too. So you can learn more by hitting the link in the show notes or heading to friendsofthetruth.co, we'd be absolutely thrilled uh, to meet you should you should you join our community. Please enjoy this episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Here for the Truth podcast. Today, we have the return of Nathaniel Solis, who originally joined us, I believe, episode 14. It was super early, early on. Yeah, mm-hmm. a little bit about Nathaniel. Um, so for over a decade, he has stood at the forefront of personal transformation and societal impact both as an award-winning filmmaker responsible for creating the world's most seen and banned documentary of all time, and as a guiding force behind the scenes for influential leaders. As an accomplished coach, advisor, and transformational facilitator, Nathaniel has discreetly coached numerous business owners and changemakers, helping them navigate the complex world of personal and professional growth. With a client portfolio exceeding a 1,000 individuals, his expertise extends across diverse domains, including health, performance, relationships, and leadership. He brings to the table a wealth of experience and a proven track record of helping his clients break through barriers and reach new levels of achievement and fulfillment through integrating psyche, soma, self, and service. I feel like we left everyone with a bit of a cliffhanger there, letting them know the most banned documentary of all time and not saying what it was. That was the first pandemic. That's right. Well, part one and part two, yeah. yeah. Oh, the first two parts. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Um, it's so awkward listening to your intro. Like I'm just supposed to sit there like, yeah, yeah I guess. Well, they're not. You're like, yes, yeah, so tap yourself on the back while Joel's reading. I did. I did write that with, ch- you know, with a little chat GPT, you know, <laughs> what's, <laughs> grammar what's, check. <laughs> what's coming up for you right now, bro? As you, as you hear that. Well, honestly, it's been, oh, it's a great question for, for real. Like I started making content online uh, like 14 years ago. And literally my very first video was me just reading off a list of a bunch of quotes of famous generals and, 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 uh, 
presidents and stuff talking about the hidden hand behind the government, right? Like the shadow government, like all just literal quotes from all these guys who were in, you know, the beginning of America and stuff like that. And that video like kind of got a little viral but back then, which was like a few thousand views right out the gate. And um, yeah, so I've just, my whole adult life has offered me this relationship with like, hey, do you want to like be seen by a lot of people or do you want to be known for doing some cool stuff or whatever? So it's still my own awkward, like owning it, I guess, you know, to put it simply. Um, I'd rather, I'd rather not go the other end and just be like, look how cool I am. Or all, like that just doesn't feel natural to me. If anything, it's like, I hear all that. It's like that does sound really cool. I'm really proud of myself for all that. And I could list off a million things I'm doing wrong with my life too. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. It's just, of course, fun, man, it's, 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 it's that balance. Yeah. It's the balance of, yeah. in that regards, man. And not getting like too high, but then also not like wallowing in the corner. Like I'm a failure. I'm a piece of shit, you know? Totally. And I think everyone, I love how, you know, we're all big, uh, Michael Sarion fans here. And it's like the whole hero uh, choice to like choose the heroic archetype mm -hmm. is something that I always like to, I love giving other people feedback where it's like, no, that is really, a, that is a big deal that you did that. That's super cool that you did that. And I think collectively, if everyone was like 5% a little more like, hey, I can do some cool stuff, you know, that would be pretty significant. So there's my humble attempt to practice, you know, being some cool guy on a podcast and also... <laughs> <laughs> just being a guy. Yeah, bro. Yeah, bro. Heroism is 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 the key, man. It's the it's the underlying mythos, the underlying archetype that's like, you know, bustling throughout everyone's journeys and just remains dormant for so many people. Um, and it was huge, huge in my life, man, for so long. You know, I think Henry David Thoreau, you know, we, we make this quote often, but most people live under this quiet despair. And it's because this, this hero mythology just remains dormant. There's bigger dreams, mm -hmm. there's bigger aspirations. And just as life goes on and the burden becomes too heavy, it gets dimmer and dimmer and dimmer until ultimately it, it, it buries them, it eats them alive. Mm -hmm. And the most important thing is not to let that light die, in my opinion, you know, because yeah. everything else becomes bleaker. Everything else becomes more difficult when you haven't been true to yourself and true and really honored your own aspirations in that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think also too, is that I think people um, tap into that hero uh, archetype vicariously, but don't do anything about it through media and through movies. Like they go and they get their fix. They watch gladiator, they watch Braveheart, mm -hmm. they feel yeah. what it is. Oh my God. But then yeah. they, they don't apply it to their life. You know, yeah. they almost like get a taste of it. But then, you know, go back and doing the same old thing over and over yeah. again. Well, that that pairs so well with the sort of dopamine trap we wanted to talk about today. Yeah. Because uh, it's dopamine, in a sense, is synonymous with progress. The feeling of progress is why we, when you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I got to, you know, write, the, you know, create this thing for my business. And you're looking at an empty page. Our brain is so efficiently wired for this particular hit that it goes, well, wait a minute, I could go on my phone right now and look at other people in Bali and, you know, like concerts and people making food and all these things, like progress, things happening, things being developed and created, and we get the hit out of that. So it's like you could make an argument that to the degree to which we have these kind of dopamine traps built into culture is why nobody's accessing their hero their inner hero because you yeah. could that takes effort and it takes work what is what is the best like the coolest part of every hero's movie is that that you know that scene where it shows them training and getting better and working hard and giving up but then choosing to go back and 
Nobody well, really I mean, has access to that. It's intricately tied to this whole concept of delayed gratification, which yeah. is impossible with dopamine addiction. Yeah. 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 yeah it's, it's, it's every single day people wake up. I have this premise for a book or something maybe I want to call uh, the ritual of self. And the ritual is the 24 hours that we get because it's like pretty damn clear there's a cyclical thing happening. It's one of the most significant things I think people can tap into. It's like, well, the sun's going to keep doing, whether the sun's moving or we're spinning, whatever, who cares? But it's like that thing is going to happen. The light's going to show up. It's going to go away. And it keeps, it's so reliable that there's a way humans can actually plug into that. And just the fact that already we, once the sun goes down, we stay up for another six hours because we have all these lights on in our house. It's like we have so many inverted uh, aspects that are like pulling us away from what feels like a really natural, effortless, inevitable like growth process that humans are meant to have. Right? I love that point, I, or I agree with that point that if you took away all of the warmongering and the mainstream media and all these divide and conquer tactics, if you just took all that stuff away from humans on earth, we would just all be basically like enlightened right now. Like we, like, like where the world is at and like where we can get to, if there's like this natural emphasis or impulse for like growth and like waking up. So it's all this effort is put into just kind of stunt that, but even the effort of something that wakes everybody up too. So it seems like a pretty cool inevitable thing, but ideally we should uh, clean it up a little bit. I'd say. Well, yeah. Hey, has, is the mainstream media now social media? Because I don't know many people who watch CNN or Fox or turn on the TV and be like, "Oh, what's yeah. the mainstream media now?" Like most well, of my, us now- my dad for my dad every night for four hours for the last thirty years. Sure, but it is right. it is dwindling. There's a handover yeah. taking place where social media is becoming the primary news source, whether it's sure. X, yeah. whether it's Instagram, whatever. That's where I'm getting my information about what's going on from. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, there's definitely, I mean, just it's so easy through the whole scamdemic to see how literally controlled. I remember a day I logged on to Twitter and 90% of the people I followed didn't have accounts anymore. Like it just, and I'm not being yeah. like, ex, I'm not exaggerating. It was really intense because I'm sitting there, I know about censorship and I'm aware of all these little ways it's happened. And then it was like impacted me in this. It's like, holy crap. And it was, this was in probably, somewhere around April, May, 2020, right? So right when it was like, you know, New York already kind of had its first like, oh, what's going on in New York? And then people are going, wait, what is going on in New York? Or like, oh, all the hospitals are full. And then I'm watching videos on Twitter of people going to those exact hospitals and there's nobody there. And mm -hmm. it's like, that's kind of weird. But yeah, so it, 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 it's become the mainstream media, and it, but it's still the same like players. And instead of them yep. just broadcasting through CNN or Fox or whoever, it's like they have their own little channels. They have their own, you know, sliding, whatever the like backdoor, just like how the people who work for Pfizer are part of the, you know, this government NGO or whatever it is. It's like all the media people are playing the same games and making sure. I just saw this great piece of content about how the shift of our feeds, which is an interesting word, right? We have these social media feeds that they, there was like this transition from. You used to just have a feed of the things you subscribed to. Mm -hmm. And now you have this for you feed. That's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's stuff you subscribe to and suggested stuff. And that's how they get us for sure. And the fact that they're infinite feeds now, which is insane. You can literally keep scrolling on Instagram or Facebook or Reddit or any of these things forever. 
and we'll just keep doing it. Reminds me of there's those uh, studies where they give the rats like cocaine water, uh-huh. right? Or like, or they hook up something to their brain. They can click a button to get a dopamine hit, and they'll just click it until they are dead. Yeah. Well, I mean, from a purely <laughs> capitalist economic standpoint, it makes sense, right? There's an infinite market for it, so yeah, yeah, they're going to cater to that. Yep. Yep. More room for ads. Infinite, you know, like infinite every 10. Sometimes I'll go on Instagram and the first thing is literally like 10 suggested posts. When, and then when, I go to change, I go to change the settings to turn off suggested posts yeah. and it's already off. <laughs> yeah. so I don't even know how that When did this anymore. change happen? Because I, I remember that like I'd be scrolling one day and then all of a sudden it's just sponsored posts, suggested posts, like. I, I need to go into my settings because I don't even know if I my, have. Yeah, my, my suggested is off, but it comes back every now and then. But the moment I see one, I press X on it and it says, do you want to snooze suggested posts for another 30 days? And I'm like, yep. yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, which is insane that we have to just keep, they're like assuming, oh, it's only 30 days. You want it back, right? Of yeah. course, here, here it is. You know, the illusion of choice. It's like, it's still kind of showing up, but oh, we have the ability to change the settings. So we're still free. It's not like they're manipulating us or anything. What do you think that transition phase would look like? Because you mentioned before, like if all the media and all the divide and conquer stuff was taken away, we'd be enlightened, you know, like, but what, what do you think that would look like? Well, so, so that's a quite a, a big <laughs> philosophical yeah. notion, but, but more of the idea, if you think about, if, and anyone listening, if you just think about your day-to-day life and everyone you know and interact with, if nobody was concerned about inflation or wars or supposed viruses and all these different things, like what type of community would you have? What would you guys be up to? Just if you look at how tangibly the last three years has made people essentially hang out less, right? Like do less. Everyone's kind of got more of this different, we've like adapted to this, oh, we're all supposed to stay inside mode. And now everyone has their own kind of like hybrid adaptation to that. Right. Where we're all still just a little afraid of each other in, in these subtle little ways. Maybe not people like us. Like we go, I go out of my way to try to mm-hmm. dispel those things. But the average person, I see memes about this all the time. Like I just saw one the other day that was like showing someone right before 2020 and the, and they're like showing the, there's kind of mood, this vibe that they used to have. And now it's showing them now. And it's just everyone's just mm-hmm. so traumatized. We're all so screwed up. So it's like if you just take all that traumatization and repetition, you know, and all that intensity out, I think there's humans have a natural proclivity to create meaningful progress together. Yeah. Right. So that transition is like, I think the more, I still think the solution to all this stuff is, has to do with more localism, right? If you actually were concerned about the actual news in your local place, you could then actually do something about that and then make your local area better. And if everyone's doing it at the same time, we should all be good to go. But it's the moment we're convinced to be concerned about all these other things, or we're not even necessarily genuinely concerned. It's just pulling our attention. So we're just like put in this realm of thought and not even thinking thoughts that are our own thoughts all day. And that's what most people are doing all day. Right. It's like getting caught up in all these dramas. So we can remove that. Uh, Yeah. I think there's a lot of space for people's heroes to show up and like actually do something about it. Mm -hmm. But right now it's like, you can see one, you know, I've seen the craziest shit there is to see on the internet. And still, if I'm scrolling through Twitter or something, I see one quick little clip of this stuff going on in Gaza or whatever, and you see somebody blown up or something. It's like that 
sits that's in your system for the rest of your life, technically. But it's like for the rest of the day, you can just like feel that. And I th- and I don't think we realize how unprepared we are to to deal with a society like this. I always give the example, like just our parents. So just one generation for us, when they were 10 years old, at least, you know, typical story I hear or from my friends in America, it's like when they're, when our parents were 10 years old, they were usually like growing up at their grandparents' ranch or farm doing like, like raising chickens and making sure the cows are fed. And that's like, that's about as much as their consciousness needed to process. Um, Anybody can go on Google and look up, there's this like infographic between the amount of information in ChatGPT 2 and ChatGPT 3 or something like that, or 3 and 4. And it's like a, a pinhead versus like the entire world's oceans. Yeah. Like, and that's the difference of our parents' generation at 12 years old, the size of their and necessity of their consciousness and their capacity was so compared to now where you have the internet and every possible piece of thing and 12-year-olds now having access to the internet, I think we have no idea how this is going to impact us yeah. still. Just us being the generation, we were the last generation to like, you guys used to like go outside when you were kids and just like play with your friends, you know, uh-huh. yeah. not have technology and come up with games and stuff. And like kids, we were the last ones to get that. And it, I, it's, I'm, I'm so aware of what I, I think all the time about like what I missed out on by the last 15 years of my life being so internet oriented, even though it's, you know, created a cool life for me. And it's, it's, I get to meet guys like you and be connected all over the world, but it's like, we just don't know what we don't know. And I think uh, right now we're like in the, the, the thick of it of realizing how much this shift in culture is screwing with us. Bro, like growing up, like within my neighborhood, we'd have like six, seven, eight hour games of hide and seek that would last like totally. throughout the night across like different yeah. suburbs on bike. Yeah, dude. And it's like there was, there was never like any any fear, never any worry, never any yeah. you know. Yeah, it's just what we was what we were doing. It's like it's, yeah. that's, that world's gone. It feels like we had our, our, our scooter, scooter club or like yeah. uh, water balloon wars and stuff. Like yeah, everything, man. Yeah. Playing wiffle ball for hours, you know. Yeah. Just, I love that shit. Uh, our nervous systems just aren't they 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 haven't evolved to the degree where they can navigate all this content and being hit with all this information that you know we're people are so focused on things that are just out of their control. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Well, it's, it's, it's so stimulating. I mean, it's the same reason we like, we only like movies where something doesn't go the way you want it to go. I don't think I've ever seen a movie where it's like, Oh, that's great. Okay, cool. Oh, great. All right. Awesome. Nice. Okay, great. Yeah. That's what I was expecting. Right. Like it has to be something averse. So it's like getting, and so in the same way that, like uh, eating a sweet, fresh strawberry is awesome, but like downing some like weird sonic strawberry smoothie that's got a hundred grams of sugar. It's like same premise, but totally wrong approach. So like, it's okay to experience adversity or see it or connect with it or, but not in that, in this, you know, realm or, or in this, this, this amount of stuff or the fact that you can just go searching for it is insane. And then we have kids you know, with the G, I've been, me and my buddy Brandon have been tripping out so much on, on the GNM perspective around conflicts for kids at such a young age and, and whether it's porn or, you know, war content or all these different things, it's like, uh, like we just have no, like the amount of memes around Gen Z right now. And it's who those kids will actually be when they're 30 years old is 
I I can't even I can't even like really comprehend it. Dude, it's wild, man. Like in that regards, because you think about especially a lot of people that consider themselves more progressive, they want to like include their young children and let them know about everything that's going on around sex, around gender. And it's like, what conflicts are happening within these children, you know? And, yeah. and what, how is that? How are they going to adapt? What's going to happen to their psyche? And we're seeing it. And it, I, again, like you said, I can only imagine what it's going to be like in 20, 30 years. You know? I, I, they, should, they should be sheltered. There should, there's an innocence there. You yeah. know, these young children should not be exposed to this yeah. stuff. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I've, I've, got, I've got a quiet faith in, in humanity, though, and like in just human psychological development, you know, in, in general, to be able to navigate and deal with. Like, obviously, it's new territories, but, you know, I know some very fucked up situations that, you know, people come around, sudden return, 30, 32, 33, they start really figuring shit out still, you know, and absolutely. Yeah. Of, um, yeah. I, I'll clarify there's, there's, there's not an ounce of pessimism coming from anything I'm saying. I just, Sometimes I'll I'll, t- I'll try to talk dramatically so people kind of like connect, you know, they can feel it, yeah, like a yeah. clickbait well, maybe. But I'm I'm so with you on humanity's uh, very innate ability to like handle some shit and of, figure things out, you know. Of, yeah, man, I'm an optimist I, I, by by nature. I mean, that's how I operate. But again, Joel, you're saying like, oh, you've seen people in their 30s, you know, come around Saturn returns, but like. Again, you're going back people that were raised 20 something years ago. So it's going to be a different process. And I'm curious to see how that's going to Yeah, be. I'm just saying I've got faith in our ability yeah. to adapt. I don't know what yeah. it's going to look like yet, but I got, yeah. I have, yeah. I have faith. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I get you. And like, obviously, there's another side. It's like, yes, we're in this incredible, you know, mag- magnanimous information age right now. But at the same time, you know, playing the opposite side, we have this ability now to be informed to such a greater degree um, and to receive multiple mm-hmm. perspectives and get, on the ground, real-time footage in the moment and see things, you yeah. know, for, for ourselves in a way as well. Yes, while that can be then used to, you know, feed fifth-generation warfare to, to a degree as well, we also now have more autonomy and we have more onus to use our discernment to decide what's mm-hmm. correct and what's not. And there's less ability for propagandists to just monopolize information too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're going to try, but <laughs> yeah, it is great that we have... Yeah, it's funny me everything I'm saying. And then like with pandemic, it's like it's that same mechanism that allowed us to reach, you know, a billion plus people for like a good reason. Right. Like yeah. helping people, you know, see see what they're not seeing. Right. Yeah. And then and then, you know, it's taken another step further. Now you have the advent and the rise of AI and this deep fake technology and like who the hell is gonna know what's real in a second? Like there's this Greta interview going around which is talking about sustainable tanks. I've seen so many people share this as if it's legit. I mean, like laughing so loud, like you know, yeah. It's yeah. like it's a it's a fake video. It's this fake interview that looks. It's so It's pretty real. easy to tell. So, at least for me, it seems pretty easy to still tell on most of them. Like yeah. any deep fake stuff, but it, it yes. actually more it surprises me how many people will just yeah. But it's going to get harder. Go for it. Oh, oh sure. Okay. Yeah. But I'm it's not even, even more here right now. This is this yeah, is just uh, this is. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like uh, wasn't the recent interview with um. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Lex Friedman, where they were like having an interview together, and it wasn't even them. It was like that was their... weird. Yeah, that was super weird. That was. I'm not. Weird. I think we are. Def- so the Ready Player One movie mm-hmm. or book, um, I think, paints such a good, like this notion that people are gonna. There's gonna be these, uh, uh, you know, basically like super lowest income class people who will make sure to just make enough money to keep their Wi-Fi on. And their like meta subscription so that they can live in their, you know, VR world 
And I don't think everyone's going to get on board with that. Obviously, there's hundreds of millions of people who will never be, never even want to touch that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's like that sort of bifurcation of society where it's like you might maybe at some point you you go to Chicago and Chicago is just a VR place now. It's like everyone, it's, it's so run down and it's just, you know, people who want to do that can live there and people who want to have their own farm, they're living somewhere else. And- like imagine like living like, you know, flying across state or across country to visit people, you know, put on a headset. I'll be in your house, your ass. I'll see, see you in the living room, bro. Yeah. That's- so, like that's fun to like to like see your bro for a minute and like play a video game together but it's not real like yeah, it's yeah. not it's it's the exact same thing of why porn can be so damaging because you have you can make yourself have an orgasm but you don't get any oxytocin you're like missing a whole other like there's this whole formula of all these ke- all this chemistry that goes on when you do something that's very natural and and meaningful like sex but when you do it that way you miss out on a bunch of the pieces. So it's kind of like eating like every meal that you have every day is missing half of the nutrients that are supposed to be in there, but it still tastes the same or it tastes even better than the food you were eating before. That's going to be a hard yeah. game to win, right? What do you think uh, has been the impact on porn and, and just relationships and sense of self that we've been dealing with for the last like, I don't know, a few decades, but definitely last 10, 15 years? Well, I think it's it's such a deep topic because you can go back in time and see where sexuality was in many ways a lot more like open or just thing like different brothels and like the types of parties they're having. And I mean back like thousands of years ago. And then you look at things like in the 70s or shit and swingers and things. It's like it's such a it's such a hot button for humanity because it's one of the most innate built-in aspects of being a human. We literally don't exist without sex, right? So there's like such a potency there. Um, but how those circuits get hijacked and how easily they do is super, super, super intense, right? For regardless of how long you think humans have been around, millions of years, hundreds of thousands of years, or some people think what, like six, 8,000 years or something like that. But whatever it is, for, for that whole time, the most stimulating thing that could happen to you is essentially like finding some food and finding a mate in a safe place to eat the food and mate with your mate. And that's pretty awesome. Even right now, like that sounds like a great, that'd be a great day today. That's the rest of my day, some food and some mating. Like, let's go, right? It's wonderful. So it's like, we're all built for that. And everyone listening, they're like, dude, that sounds great. I don't want to have to do anything else today, right? So it's so lovingly built into us. But the fact that you can go now online and see any type of person doing any type of thing in any type of way in in a matter of seconds and then in a moment be on the next person doing whatever they're doing and then you know it's so polar opposite and again i don't think we really understand how influential it is but it's it's true like when you get into you know i run a men's program I've had my own history of porn addiction and and uh, things like that. That totally, I'm so grateful I went through that, you know, like seven, eight years ago, and not right now. Um, with the level of how intense. Um, so in our men's group, uh, we we have guys who will come in with those issues, and it's like I can even still tell sometimes, like to the degree to which what they're seeing and the stuff that they're being influenced by, they're still not even comfortable sharing it. 
right? Like it's so intense. And uh, yeah, I think it changes the way people literally just see other people. It changes. There, there's guys now who would literally rather like create their own like like porn man cave that they can live in and order their food and get order stuff on Amazon and do whatever and not even need to leave the house. Right. And there's people fucking marrying uh, AI, like robots and stuff and sex dolls and things like that. And it's just so mind blowing to me that it can get to that. But when you start to look at the infrastructure, um, it's the most, it's the reason the internet exists. Basically. I remember hearing something a long time ago, like every, every uh, advent or every like next stage of technology, like the reason we had, uh, the reason we could fit more stuff on a CD compared to like, you know, like a, these little files or your iPod or this is because of porn. Like the reason VHS to DVD is because we needed to fit more porn on a VHS. So we figured out how to make this other thing. And it's like the advent of all, the reason we have screens on our phones. It's the, it's the most, you, it's, the, it's the biggest use case of the screens on all phones. It's the biggest use case wow. on the internet. And if you, and then second biggest is Netflix. But if you look at all the biggest stuff on Netflix, half of it is all pornographic and sexual and, and brutalization and all this kind of stuff. So should, right. should we, should we be extending gratitude to porn? Yeah. Porn drives innovation. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure we would have figured that out anyways. And I don't know how true that is. I just heard it and it makes sense. You yeah. Know, like that, sure. that kind of, it does, it does shadow impulse behind things. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, th I think it's massive. I think people, I wish we still like, I love that the fantasy of like, even what our parents might've lived in when it's like, you see a, the girl down the road at the bakery, who's kind of cute and you want to bring her a flower and, you know, court her. And it's like, there's like intimacy and there's like connection and, and people having experiences with people. And, um, yeah. And you, you, you're only connected to like the people, you know, to the community, people at school, the people in local shops and businesses. It's yeah, not yeah. like there's this entire market of, of suitors. Yeah. 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 I remember years ago, finally tracking this feeling I would have where every day I had to open up my Facebook feed to like feel like myself. I had to be like, oh, here I am in reference to all the people I normally see. Like I had to like that's now it's kind of that feeling where it's like if you lose your phone, you're like, oh, like there's like a drop in your stomach almost. You're like, oh, no, like I won't be able to be myself. And it's like, that's awkward. I want to catch that shit. I'm not interested in that, you know? And, and similar to that too, quick call out. Like if you still have to bring your phone to go to the bathroom, I, I just call myself, just man. check it, man. Me too. Sometimes, yeah, but it's like, but, but it's the willingness to be, to always be like, wait, why right now? And it's like, am I really that going to be that bored or that anxious that like, I can't just you know, do the thing that I'm built to do a couple times a day, hopefully, yeah. you know, and it's yeah. like, yeah, it's just a good, that's what, so that's one of my markers, like in the ritual reboot stuff. It's like, the, there's these good markers. Cause a lot of people are like, Oh dude, I use my phone all the time and I'm running a business. I'm making money. I'm in a healthy relationship. Like, why does any of this matter? And it's more of the, like, you don't know what you're missing until you, right. Like go find out. Mm. It, it really so, is a modern barometer of self-mastery. <laughs> whether you can go to a two. That's so that's funny. That's, that's true. Yeah. That's crazy that that's true. But then but. you end up, you end up sometimes like you're on the toilet for like 40 minutes, you know, like you've already done what you've had to do. And then you've when you're on your phone, you're on your fucking phone. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, 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 you, then you can't stand up afterwards. Got a dead leg. I had my I had my yeah. legs like fall asleep one time, and that was like it for me. I was like, I'm I'm an idiot. Like this, yeah. I'm embarrassed. Like what's going on? That's just not cool. Yeah, um, <laughs> totally not cool. Yeah. So the other barometer, though, too, is the ability to essentially look out a window, like this window right here, just like this neighbor's side yard, and you know they have a little guard. It's all snowy now, so that's all. Dead, but it's like, can you look out a window or look at a view and be there and actually like enjoy the view, even if it is you, your front yard that you see every time you look at that window, mm -hmm. you should be able to do that. That's my own personal opinion. But when I share that with my students and everyone's like at the end of the, the reboot, everyone's always like, dude, I didn't totally get what you meant, but now I can look at like you know, like the pictures on the fr on my fridge of my family, and I can like sit there and like actually let it in, and I'm not wanting to go listen to another podcast, or I'm not needing to go see my notifications. Right? Yeah. Um. One time, uh, the first, or how do I say this? When I first launched Ritual Reboot, almost like four years ago, I did a super hardcore, you know, detox, and the one thing that I noticed was I was before the detox, like it helped me realize I was, could only think for about as long as a story, like an Instagram story, which was like 15 seconds back then. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like, Oh, thinking of a thought. Oh no, no, now on to the next thing. Oh no, no, now on to the next thing. Instead of being able to like really cultivate something and sit with something and not dip out, you know, like when you're doing spiritual work or healing work, or you're working with a coach or a therapist that there's that premise of like, Oh, once you start getting to the intense stuff, you'll find yourself kind of dipping out. Right. You're basically, uh, disassociating or changing the topic or you like run off on some joke and go off in some other direction. Right. And it's like all this content stuff is training our brain to, to like be that regimented and that segmented. So then when you're just trying to have like a normal thought or like hanging out with somebody and talking about something, it's like, you're going all over the place. Yeah. And uh, I think it's normalized. People don't realize that that's not how we're supposed to think. Yeah. Um, even just the level of anxiety and mental health stuff people are dealing with now, when you're on your phone for even the first hour of your day, getting all these hits, right? You're, you're spiking up all this chemistry. The moment you put your phone down to go like, do your normal life. Now you're coming, you're now on a dip. You're on your way down, right? It's like eating the most decadent, delicious, fudgy, chocolatey cake. And you eat it until you're, you just can't eat anymore. You're so satiated and you're so happy about it. And now it's dinner time. Mm -hmm. You just can't, you like can't even eat dinner. Mm -hmm. Right. Or now it's time to enjoy that, that, that like super fancy dark chocolate that someone brought back from Brazil. And it tastes terrible mm -hmm. because you're so stimulated from this totally like, you know, artificial thing. So that's what we're all dealing with. And most people, um, I've had dozens and dozens of people go through our program where they, um, who have even diagnosed ADHD symptoms and they just don't have them anymore when they're done. Yeah. I remember, kind of weird. I remember when, um, I traveled, I backpacked Europe after uh, college, you know, it was 2002. I literally could just sit on a bench and read an entire book in like six hours. And I did that. Yeah. All the time, like every new place I went and just sat. And yeah. then 2008, I did some travel, same thing. But then as social media, as the use of smartphones came into play and I was using it more, I find it more challenging to do that because my mm -hmm. mind is wandering. 
But then yeah. the thing too that's tricky, I think, for creators and content producers or whatever is that you read something and then you're like, you have a thought and you're like, oh, maybe I can go write this down and then maybe I can turn it into a post and maybe I could do this, which yeah. I'm not saying that's a, a negative thing, but it's interesting how it shifted the whole landscape in terms of how we interact yeah. with content, yeah. with material, with, with, you know, just our own free time. But it's a slippery slope for sure. Yeah. Like the fact that something really insightful could just turn into like a three hour rabbit hole of like looking up other stuff or, or you see someone else made a post about that topic and now you're looking at the comments of that. It's like, it's just, we're so, but I think it's so important to keep trying to think of like, what would we be doing? What would we be doing instead? Yeah. What could I be doing with my life? That's so fulfilling and progressive for me, not politically, but like, you know, just created progress. I don't like that that word got hijacked by that group either. Um, but it's like, what would I be doing so that I'm not so compelled to need to go get stimulated in all these other ways? And I, and that's the part that does scare me. It's like people don't even think about other options or realize that that's possible. Yeah. Right. I'm able to open Zoom every day and still enjoy the rugged simplicity of your Asmos's face without anything to trade <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Now, a short break from the episode. Ritual Reboot is a dopamine detox course created by Nathaniel. Uh, so you can learn how to overcome brain fog, procrastination, and low energy in just seven days without any silly life hacks or loss of productivity. With this proven method, you can take your life and work from too much screen time, bad habits, and stress to a sustainable system that supports your passions. And Nathaniel has been generous enough to offer exclusively for our audience and for our listeners, $100 USD off the cost of the program. Uh, the code is TRUTH100, and the link is in the show notes wherever you're listening. Back to the episode. Oh, bro, you, you brought up Ritual Reboot a couple times. You know, let us know, I guess, how, what, what inspired the, this program and uh, um, kind of what it entails. <clears throat> sure. Um, I think what ultimately inspired it was... You know, 10, well, by the time it was created, gosh, almost six, maybe six years of being a content creator, having my whole life revolve around the internet, and then slowly but surely starting to see where that was serving me and where it wasn't, right? And then I did this 100-day detox that was, basically, we call it monk, monk mode because it's like, just detox everything, like no... You're not tapering off. You're not just doing less. So for me, that was no caffeine, no alcohol, excuse me, uh, no alcohol, no cannabis, no pornography, no masturbation. Um, and then I don't, I don't use nicotine or I, I don't really drink alcohol either. So, but those were all big, just caffeine, cannabis and, and masturbation or porn is like pure dopamine, super intense, super, you know, caffeine is basically the most widely used drug in the world. Mm-hmm. And one of the hardest ones to for most people to quit. And uh, it was life-changing, like absolutely life-changing. I got to the point just a, a week or two in where I cried every day, at least once, wow. by just having this. I mean, you could argue what I'm what was actually happening is I'm all the stuff I'm repressing by using yeah. all those things is having space to show up, right? But to me, it just felt like relief and it felt like beauty. Like I felt more awestruck by life, like I could sit with a beautiful thought and be more connected to it, which was great. And, um, you know, I made, I like 
probably, I think that was probably the first time I had made, uh, that basically made the, the amount of money I'd made the whole year before in those three months, like in the, in like a 90 day stint. Um, yeah, it was just the happiest I've ever been this best sleep I've ever had best energy I ever had. It was just, it was insane. Like everything <laughs> was better. So I started to just incorporate that into my coaching practice and just making sure that my clients like had access to some of these tips or, you know, were, or at least trying some of these things out to just see what else is possible. And then it started to make all my clients better results too, you know, so they're better clients for me and they're making better moves for their business, their life, their relationships, whatever that might be. And it was probably a couple of years later that I actually turned it into the course that it was, which originally started basically as I wanted to make like a respectable way for leaders to essentially deal with what we call like the unmentionables, right? So some of our favorite people in the world, you know, anybody who's listening, celebrities, authors, teachers, like people we love, we respect, they're geniuses, they do all this stuff. And they like have to have a glass of whiskey every night in order to fall asleep. Now, again, I'll be the first to say, there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. And if that's what produces, you know, the incredible leader that we know, awesome. And because we love that leader, I think we should be willing to poke at and make sure that they're not ultimately damaging themselves, right? And being willing to avoid certain things if it can be, right? I'm not saying that anybody needs to be a particular way, but I think there's the, it's like the will, truth um, is happy to be questioned. That whole premise, right? So it's like, oh, you have to drink every night? Like, oh, you literally can't function without your coffee? That sounds like a problem to me, just kind of rationally. I love those that me like, don't talk to me till I've had my coffee. It's like, that sounds like a coffee addiction, bro. Like, that's not good. Like, it's not funny either. Like, I feel bad that you feel that way, right? Yeah, I I agree. It's not funny. Right? So, so, so there's that piece. And then there's the infinite compassion. You know, it's like, I, everybody has their drug of choice, whether it's behavioral or chemical or emotional or whatever it is, because we're all wired to try to balance ourselves out, you know, like we're all, everything is an act of self-regulation, you know, somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I made this, the ritual reboot, the first round was like this cool, almost like shadow work meets like, Hey, come on in. You're pro-, you know, I could, I could close my eyes and point out a group of people and guarantee they're either smoking too much weed, eating too much meat, drinking too much caffeine, whatever it is, right? So it was like this place to let people in. I had about 20 people join the first round and it was just so uh, healing and beautiful. Everyone was so ready and hungry and excited. And we had everything just from like, yeah, I basically just wake up and I have to get on my phone and then I'm just like on my phone all day, you know, but I don't do any drugs. But I'm And then they're, by the time they're done, like, oh, that was the drug. <laughs> that was my drug, right? Um, we've We've launched the program like let bring people in in different rounds, almost you know maybe half a dozen times over the last few years, and then over the last year we basically retrofitted it so it's like an evergreen program now. So that way, uh, people can just join anytime, which is much more helpful. So someone who's sitting there with like some serious addiction, they want to heal, and they're like, oh, I got to wait for the next round. How help sounds so helpful. Thanks, right? So we just made it so it's kind of universally accessible, and um, the program itself right now is designed as. You know, it's one part kind of education where sometimes you just need to get a few details around, you know, the science and the chemistry. Why does dopamine influence us the way that it does? And what's the impact of screens and porn and all this different stuff, which I think is so helpful for a lot of people just to get enough of the context 
right? Um, that that module alone has helped a lot of people shift where they're just like, oh, once you see it, you can't unsee it. It's like, oh, wow, the, me thinking I need to look at my phone and catching that thought and catching that feeling is enough of a spiritual practice or just a lifestyle practice to like change your whole life. It's that willingness to to be lucid enough to catch an impulse as it shows up and then make it a new choice, make a different choice, right? Or still make the same choice, but from consciousness and not just from a reaction, which has its own value as well, right? But what we're basically doing in the program is educating people, training people, and helping them prepare for a seven-day reboot, the ritual reboot, um, where you're essentially, you design kind of like this perfectly ideal kind of clean wheat where you're removing what we call destructive sources of dopamine and, and adding a bunch of deliberate sources of dopamine. So it's still like a super, it's for some people, they say it's the most productive week they've ever had. It's not like you're taking the week off and lay, just laying in your bed and not looking at anything or not you know doing anything. In fact, you can still go to work, you can make your content, you can do the stuff that you have to do, but it's like making rules around it. So if you run your business by posting content on Instagram, guess what? That takes you eight minutes on Instagram. So that gets designed into your week. You only use the eight minutes you need to use on there, right? So what, I built that in because that was most people's kind of resistance was like, oh, I can't take a whole week off just to reset my brain. It's like, well, technically you can and you should, but let's find a way to kind of meet everyone where they're at. So you can basically design your week as hardcore as you want um, or as kind of adaptive and loose as you want. And which I think is helpful for people too, because this shit's hard, you know? And again, caffeine is the hardest for most for mostly everybody, which is kind of interesting because it's so just fun and normalized and simple. At least things like drugs or porn, like everyone has some form of a built-in kind of like, that's not, that's probably not the best thing for me, ideally, but like coffee or sugar or, you know, carbs and stuff, nothing wrong with carbs, but carbs can be abused yeah. as a regulating, you know, right. vehicle. So yeah, I that's, that's basically ritual reboot in a nutshell. I could not stand the feeling of having to have a coffee to function in the morning. Like in the past, like when that was the case, it was like, I'm literally like a slave to this beverage, yeah. you know, like couldn't, yeah. it's crazy. It's, it's such a, it's such a social ritual. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Know, like you're talking about, yeah. uh, let's go have a coffee. Let's meet for a coffee. You want to meet next week for a coffee? Let's do that. You know? And yeah. Um, that was the thing that changed changed my life. I, I was off been off coffee for ten years and caffeine for ten years. Although I did have I've had some chai's because again I'm not like I'm like fucking I could have a fucking chai. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but I was off also theobromine. I was off chocolate for about eight and a half nine years too, and then yep. I uh, came back to it uh, last year because I was like, you know, I fucking love chocolate. Like I want to enjoy chocolate once in a while. Now the, yep. the beginning it was a little crazy. All of a sudden I I go to the 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 fridge and have like a chocolate bar and I just house the whole thing. I'm like, okay, I need to check oh, myself. Yeah. Yeah. But again, it was like interesting to go from this one place of where I was very, very like rigid and strict with certain things that served mm -hmm. me in, in a way. But then I also saw how it was a little bit too rigid yeah. and restrictive. But it's the willingness to look, the fact that you looked and gave yourself different parameters to find out who you are and then make a choice from that. That's the thing nobody lets themselves do. And that's the most healing part because you know, uh, uh, everyone deserves to have whatever relationship with all of these things that they want for the rest of their life. Yeah. But being lucid enough to be able to ask yourself, like, is this actually me deciding I want this? And is this functional for me or not? It's like no one ever gets to decide from that place. 
So that's kind of like the pur- the purpose of the program. It's like you make enough space from something, you can actually relate to that thing, right? But if you're just all consumed by it, it's like the 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 per- it's always interesting seeing you know like different uh, whether it's a no fap content or or giving up cannabis or coffee, and you always see the comments and people are like weed's not bad, it's medicinal, it's not addictive, and it's like yeah, you only can think that way because you're currently addicted mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. Right. Like to have that kind of rigid response versus being willing to address the nuance as the as like the priority just shows you where somebody's at. Right. So giving people the point, the space to to have a nervous system that can handle the nuance and be self-honest, which is like, oh yeah, I totally am addicted here. Or I totally use this because I'm just trying to get this feeling or away from this feeling that's that's so vital for people to have that. Yeah. Dude, it's it's the I can't tell you how many times I've gotten into dialogues with people where they would combat me or they'd battle me because I would share like, oh, what I'm navigating. And I'm like, well, if you don't know what it's like to go without alcohol for six months, for a year or caffeine, then like you're only seeing one side of the (laughs) picture. Like you don't have all the information. It's like people who are just getting into arguments about anything. It's like you only know your point of view. So how can you like make this argument? Go spend a year without it or six months and see how you feel, see what your energy is like, see how your relationships are, and then come back to me and we can have a conversation. Yeah. Most most people deep down know it's a it's a problem. But the longer that you ignore it, the more that you are choosing to betray your own intuitive impulses that this is the thing that's holding me back. And then the harder that's probably the the most damaging part. Yeah, that's right. And then then the harder it becomes. You know, like even like in, in in our program, you know people wanting to create their vision, create their life, you know, before you get to that step, it's like, you must be really honest about what you need to take away. What do you need to detract? Mm -hmm. Because, and deep down, we know the thing that's just preventing us from doing what needs to be done. You know, there's that whisper, but until we start listening to it and every, everything's difficult. Like you, you, you have to remove the top leaf on the mountain pile before you can get into anything deeper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. said. It's uh, I I do want to add another little emphasis. Like I'm hope to hope, hoping that we're not sounding. This isn't like a holier than thou thing either. Like yeah. oh, I don't have to drink coffee, so I'm better than you, or something like that. Because it can, if you're the person currently with the vices, it can feel like that. Um, but it's sure. so like it's so it's it's the ability to have the choice. That's it, right? It's like and it's okay to choose. You know, they they've done studies where they have people. Um, quit smoking cigarettes and and they'll they'll take a group, split them in half. And one group, they don't give them any new information. The second group, they say, all we want you to do is be curious about the habit. That's it. Just be yeah. curious about it. And then they say, you know, then they send those people off. One guy accounts, he's like, as soon as I walked out of the clinic, I was, you know, I'm walking back to my car, which is usually a time to have a smoke. And I pull up the cigarette and I like, look, I'm like curious. What does that even mean? Like be curious. And he smells it. And he's like, this smells like shit. And he threw it out and never smoked again. Yeah. Right. It's like just to have enough awareness. Uh-huh. Right. And it's like that guy could still enjoy a really cool, like organic tobacco thing while he's traveling. It's like, that's great. It's like, I think life should be enjoyed. I don't even drink. I don't really drink alcohol at all, almost ever. And I'm excited for in the future when I can like have some bar of all these like really fancy, expensive things where you only have it once a year anyways. Cause like, that's cool. Somebody made that, you know, like someone put effort and intention into that. And yep. if it can help me like 
have an extra fun time one night for that particular reason, I think that's cool that we have access to that. But to need, and especially to just drink freaking like cheap beer or something every day because I can't function without it. Those are two totally different relationships with yeah, that, yeah. right? It, it always comes back to intentional versus habitual. And like in the last however long, like I've taken multiple stints doing six months on coffee, you know, six months off coffee. And there's no doubt my life is 100% better served off coffee. But there's points where I'm in the in the off coffee zone, you know, where my, my wife and I, like, we really enjoy the taste of coffee. And there's generally times where it's like, mm-hmm. I feel like the taste of coffee. But like, I'm at the point now where like, on a, on a Sunday after I've naturally spiked like 10, 11 a.m., I can have a single coffee at a, at, a, at, a, at a cafe and it doesn't really affect my need to have it during the week, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah. you can actually, if you want to build intention around, you know, okay, I enjoy this thing. I can enjoy it every now and then without it having to yeah. become a full-blown addiction. Yep. And there's, there is a lot of, like you said, like you naturally spike your own cortisol in the morning. Like we have a natural way of waking up. Yeah. There's a lot of things that we do that get in the way of that process. Uh, and a lot of things you can do to help really facilitate it more too. So all that's built into ritual reboot into the, I love that like Andrew Huberman's gotten so popular because mm-hmm. he's just such a wealth of knowledge of that. You know, sometimes I tell my kind of sales pitch for ritual reboot is like, do you want to like take a week and implement all the stuff Andrew Huberman says to do at once? And somebody will kind of walks and do it. Cause like all that works. Mm-hmm. And remember, I was talking about that natural, the rhythm, that 24-hour cycle, that's a premise we build into the program. It's called Ritual Reboot, and the ritual is the 24-hour gift. I call it a gift because I just wake up and it happened. Like, I didn't, you know, it feels like a gift. It's just, it is, <laughs> here it, you go, it, right? It is, it is a gift, man. Yeah. But it's yeah. more so a gift to the individuals who actually value potential. And there you, you, you really begin to learn to value potential when you see what's possible, when you give yourself time, space, a goal, you give yourself a semblance of delayed gratification, you create and you achieve something. Mm-hmm. And then now you know that I can achieve something. Now it's like, what else can I achieve? And what yeah. other actions and steps can I take to maximize my effectiveness in being able to achieve that? And that's the dopamine mm-hmm. that lights me up, man, is being able to create something big, lasting, long-term, something that doesn't currently exist. Then all of a sudden, I give myself the appropriate space and focus and energy to do it. Then it grows mm-hmm. and it evolves and it becomes this thing. And it's like, there we go. You know, I'm a creator. I'm a creator. Yeah. yeah. It's, again, that's pure progress. And progress works really well when you have a point, some sort of North Star, something kind of set that's not where you are. Right. And you chip away at it. It's the, that's the best feeling ever. Right. Yeah. I love when I hear stories of, um, I mean, Alex Hormozzi is a great example right now. He's just getting so big that makes, you know, $85 million a year from his portfolio. Like he doesn't have to do anything for that. That's just what comes in from his portfolio. Right. So he's pretty much as chilling as you would ever need to be chilling. And he says, the times I feel the best is when I'm in the middle of working on something really hard. Like I don't want to just chill. Now that I have all my needs met, like I think humans, when they have their needs met, are built for creation and more progress. That's right. Like more creativity. Um, it's 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 like the it's the secret to to all of it. And and most people are so again, you go on social media for thirty minutes, and what it does is it trains you to feel like everything's already been made. Like everyone's already got it figured out. All this fun stuff's already happening. Like there's what, what could I possibly do? Like 
we already have an Elon Musk and an Alex Ormosi and a Zuckerberg and all these things happening being creative. And it's like bombarding us with um, like, oh, I guess I'll just be a consumer yeah. instead of a creator. Like, oh, all the things have been all the things that I could possibly want have been created uh, when we're actually don't even know what we actually want. We're so manipulated, it's a, right? It's, it's, it's a very low self-esteem mindset because that's how <laughs> that's how I used to be as well. It's like, oh, what what place do I have? What place do my creations? Have? Even if I did it, like someone's already done it or doing it better already has an audience. Yeah, but yeah. it's it's not true. It's not yeah. fucking true. Yeah, was, that was that was life changing with um with pl- the pandemic part one. Mm-hmm. You know, was me and Mickey. Mickey interviewed Judy Mikovits. It was about a four hour interview, and he texts me and he says, first off, this is in like April 2020." He's like, "Bro, I just interviewed this virologist. You have to come see this. Help me, help me edit it." And we edited that down to 26 minute video. And that took us maybe two and a half weeks and it reached a billion people. And it's like every person in the world, if they could reach a billion people with something, would absolutely want to, I would think, hopefully mm-hmm. you're you know, excited about something. Even if it's just like, hey, I love, I love rhubarb pies. I want to share my recipe with a billion people. Like, great, that would make your life, you know, if everyone got your cool recipe. But the fact that it was literally just two dudes in front of a computer for two and a half weeks. And that was it. There's no strategy. There was no even plan on it being a viral thing or anything like that. But that's how, how easy it is to actually make progress, right? Or to make that kind of impact and to be gratified by something you created versus all these things you're consuming. That was massive for me to experience that. For the 10 years prior, I always wanted to be some like famous YouTuber or something, you know, get millions of views on my videos and stuff. Um, Mr. Beast. Now, now, yeah, exactly. And gosh, that's an interesting guy, right? Yeah, an very interesting. interesting. Yeah, um, that dude could do some stuff. And what does he do? I just watched his video the other night. He, he created ten different levels of laser beam, you know, uh, puzzles. People had to actually get through, and it was super entertaining. I'm like, this is so great. And all he had to plug at the end was like, oh, and by the way, you know. Check out here for the truth podcast or something, you know, like, <laughs> like there are so many. So that's one of my secret agendas too. And why I love the coaching and the kind of behind the scenes work too, is I, I will get to subtly or not so subtly, like influence people that have a lot of influence that I think is, I used to want to be like the next Tony Robbins. I want to, I want millions of people to buy my books. And now it's like, no, I'd rather sit down with Tony Robbins and like pick at his brain so that his brain's different. And then he can go influence the people he already does from this kind of broader perspective. Mm-hmm. That's been more fun for me. And I've definitely learned through the pandemic stuff. I have no interest in being uh, famous or a celebrity or anything like that. It is just, it's so brutal yeah. and not, not. Can you, can, you, can you talk about that realization a bit? Um, well, I mean, it's pretty contextual too. You know, when the whole world's calling you a uh, Nazi or I'm still waiting for my Nazi checks you know, we were supposed to, supposedly we were funded by, you know, a bunch of right-wing extremists and I'm still waiting on my checks. So those will, hopefully those come in at some point. Gotcha. Um, but I think the context of that's like getting famous and going against the mainstream at the same time might be a little different where it's mm-hmm. like, I specifically didn't really want to show my face in most regards because Mickey was the the face of it and he just got blasted, you know, absolutely blasted. And that he's one of the toughest guys spiritually that I know. So I trusted him to handle that. And we've already gone, me and him have gone through a couple other viral 
experiences together, which is cool. So we had like some karmic, you know, momentum going into that. But yeah, there's just, there's something about that. It's hard. It, it, well, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of elements to it. Um, Dr. John Gray, who wrote Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, total legend. Anyone who's never gotten into his work, do it. It's it's not just like a cheesy relationship book. It's like he has this whole body of work. But he makes this point where like, why do we see so many um, male celebrities turn into drug addicts or become so kind of shriveled or like Johnny Depp, I think is the example he gave. And it's men who have every door opened for them, every meal made for them, all their suitcases carried for them. Like they don't have to like do anything like masculine in that sense, or like kind of show up for themselves in that way, they deteriorate somewhere. Right. So if like getting famous or becoming a celebrity means that you start to truly disconnect from like what's real for humans, I have no interest in that. Now, again, now that I'm thinking about it, it's like if I could have another, like have another billion people see my next film, that's great. And if I get known for that, awesome. But it's not about the me getting known part. It's about the film getting in front of people. So I think that's, that's the main distinction. I, when I was younger, I thought it was, would be so cool for everyone to know who I am. And now it's like, man, if I could have everybody know what I'd like them to know and, and I don't have to be known at all, I would choose that in a heartbeat. Yeah. I was just having this conversation, uh, yesterday, uh, you know, Brian Cox, the actor, um, mm -hmm. he's, he's, you know, amazing character actors been in so much stuff. And I read an article recently where he was like, you know, I've been fortunate for 60 years that I I've been able to get away with like every single person noticing, but since this, the, the uh, success of succession, he's like, I can't I've lost my anonymity. You know, it sucks. I yeah. hate it. Yeah, you totally. Know? Yeah. And it's, it's gotta be tough, you know, for a lot of these people. Yeah. They get all these projections and like to not be able to do normal things without, you know, yeah. everyone wanting a piece of you on some level. Yeah. But it's also weird to like be famous for not being yourself. Yeah. Like actors, I've always, uh, that's always been so weird. It's like, whoa, everyone loves you for literally pretending to be something you're not. And how much does that, how would that feel after 10, you know, Golden Globe films or whatever, and you're some big shot and like no one's ever seen you ever. And now even the person who shows up to do the interviews or do all the stuff, it's like, it's this kind of like mask you have to wear to like be that person. And uh, anyways, lots of love to all the, all the famous people out there. I hope you have, you know, what you need. Yeah, of course. You know, I can't ultimately realize there's, there's so. probably cool elements to it as well, but you know, we're highlighting things that we observe, yeah. you know, we observe these yeah. people who on the outside, people would say they have everything. Yeah. And then yet it seems like they don't. It goes back to the consumer culture too. Like why isn't the people who grow everyone's food, the most famous people in the world right now? Like I can't eat a movie. Right. It's like, it's, it's again, it's just like a sign of where we've been trained to value things and prioritize things. And like pe people could literally care less who grows their food or how, but be totally, uh, you know, like a freaking Matthew Perry just passed away. The guy from friends. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, don't know anything about him, but that's about it. You know, but it's like people are distraught. There's, I'm seeing people make posts like he was such, so influential. This guy pretending to be some guy on a show that I'd watch when I could have been like connecting with my family or doing something. I don't know. 
No, it just yeah, it just I, feels so awkward. Yeah, it's I, interesting too. Too, you have athletes making five hundred million dollar contracts, four hundred million dollar <laughs> contracts, and I respect athletes, you know, but they wouldn't be getting that money if all the attention and energy yeah. was towards that. Yeah, it's all ad money, basically, yeah, right? So, yeah, I think I think everyone, especially right now, as everything's going to keep ramping up, you know, like. Uh, We've kind of been in a new world war, for lack of a better term, for probably the last decade already, as far as information warfare goes. And it's like, I don't think we even realize, I think this, like even the stuff going on in the Middle East right now is showing us how knee deep we already are in that, how quickly everyone's ready to pick a side and argue about stuff and not look at the nuance and all these kinds of things. By the way, like stress and overwhelm and burnout make it nearly impossible to look at the nuance, which I think is like the winning strategy as far as the like chaos magicians go, right? It's like right. trauma, trauma, trauma. Yeah. But this, it is, nuance it is solves a, all of it. It is. And we just can't even do it. It is the strategy on the nose. You know, I keep yeah. trying to tell people, Yuri Bezmanov, you're right? Four stages yeah. of psychological subversion. We've been in stage yeah. three, sustained crisis for the longest yeah. time because when people are in sustained crisis, when dysregulation becomes the normal, it becomes so much easier for them to infringe on all your freedoms and warp your mind. They told us the strategy. Yep. Yep. So how do we fight back, right? One example, don't take your phone to the goddamn bathroom. <laughs> like, That's it. sit there. Save the every, world. Leave your phone every, on the living table. Well, and, 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 and to take it a little deeper, and I'm not joking at all, like, if you are, what are you actually doing? You're literally... What is going to the bathroom? It is a it is the end stage of the alchemical process that is you turning reality into more of you and then letting go of the parts that you don't need. So what if every time you go to the bathroom, you could just sit there for a moment and also think about what else you'd like to let go of? You know, like just like if you want to you need to be stimulated by something, great. Go like think something intentionally or be grateful for the fact that anyone listening to this podcast probably literally goes to the bathroom in clean drinking water, which is insane, right? And it's like, there's over a billion people who don't even have bathrooms. So like, I mean, go, go take a crap and think about that for a few minutes or whatever you got, you know, whatever you're doing. So that's part of it. The other part of it too, that I think is super critical is not consuming this stuff right after you, right when you wake up and right before bed is really, really important. Like, the level that this stuff gets into your subconscious because you're already in an altered brainwave state in the morning before bed, right? Your brainwaves are slowing down. That's the hypnotic state where all that stuff gets in there. And you might see something or even people who watch like crazy movies and all this stuff like before bed. It's like that is what's molding you subtly. So you wake up the next day just a little more accepting of war because you just enjoyed a whole movie about it. Right. Or you just saw it on your feed and then didn't really let yourself feel it or think anything about it. So it's just influencing you from like the momentum of the meme that it is instead of it get, getting kind of discerned by your own, you know, your own faculties. So when you do see stuff that you know is part of the chaos magic, it's important to like take a stand in your own consciousness of how you're choosing to relate to that. Um, I did an interview with, have you guys had Emma Reitort on? 
You know, we we almost uh, did. We had her yep. scheduled, but then um, she fell ill, and then we just never really yep. followed up with. Get get her on. She's. I think she's one of the most phenomenal thinkers alive, feelers and thinkers alive right now. Her book Kriefta is a, a really big deal. But she made this point. She's like, when I see um, when I see a chemtrail, I don't just go, oh look, they're poisoning us, and then go on with my day. Like that's. Because that's actually like imprinting you more than the chemtrail, probably. But she's like, "There's it's two parts. You want to like, ex- it's there. Like you're, it's not, it's not not there. But I'm also going to give it a piece of my mind." She made this point. She's like, "I'm I'm going to go to the level of like the chemtrail god, you know, and be like, yo, what the hell are you doing here? Like that, like I'm not okay with that, and I'm adding my influence to the field, right?" So. Yeah. Next time you go on social media and you see some war thing or you see people arguing about stuff and you think it's ridiculous and you think we should all just get along, feel that the force of that in your being. It doesn't mean go fight with them in the comments if you want to. That's your choice. But even where you're where you're doing that from, right? I love that quote. An, an intention is a place to come from, not a place to get to. Mm-hmm. Right. So if we're intending for a more peaceful world or a more integrated world that come from that. Yep. Right. Yeah. I think it's also like just, you know, being intentional about not being a moral jellyfish and being clear about what you think about each of the things that you're consuming. And that way they're not just it's not just having its own impact on you. It's like you've categorized this, you know, you've mm-hmm. thought about it, right? The choice to think, bro, is 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 a choice. You know, we don't think automatically as human beings. And it does require effort. We're the only species with a volitional consciousness. You know, and this is intrinsically tied to self-esteem is choosing to think about things properly. And like yeah. in this constant, you know, high dopamine state, it's it becomes increasingly difficult to give ourselves the right amount of time to actually decide, what do I actually think about what I just consumed? What do I actually just yeah. think about what that yeah. person just said? You know? Yeah. Most people in, don't do Instead that. of, I just, of, oh, I've already, I already follow this person. Therefore, you know, I probably agree with 95% of the things they're saying. So now this person's, you know, moral stance just becomes mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's a uh, group think is the safest is one of the safest protection strategies, and it's the re- it's the result of a disassociation from yourself, mm-hmm. right? But it's super super safe, you know. Oh, it looks like everyone's on in a rally in the streets, you know, chanting whatever. Dude, but there's people rallies right now chanting "kill all the Jews" or what? It's like none of those people would ever kill anybody. If given the chance, ninety nine percent of them they're pan- they're a bunch of pansies, yeah. Because and they don't actually even think that or believe that they're just doing what is feels like reactively the safest choice, which is to join this group and be loud. And you know, somebody feels certain enough, so I'm just gonna latch on to that, right? With Tico, man, we we had Paul Levy on the. On that was a great episode. I love great. Paul. Love Paul. Um, yeah. That was my first time seeing him interviewed. It was cool to like feel. Just him as like a dude who had yeah. his had, has had his journey, you know. Yeah, on his journey. Here, man. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. He has a beautiful yeah. pre- he has a beautiful presence. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I do think it's interesting too that the man. We could go another two hours just like opening this thread too, but just like where Watiko meets, um, like the sort of archonic notion, the sort of inversion of things, right? Or this, or the the origins of evil and where, you know, evil itself doesn't really have its own power, 
it has to use power that already exists, right? Or it doesn't have its own creativity, right? Like Watiko doesn't go do evil things, right? It's just like, make sure that there's a space for, you know, something unintegrated to make sure it's playing itself out in that unintegrated way. And yet at the same time, just like we were talking about, we don't watch movies where everything just goes well the whole time. How is there like a larger evolutionary sort of premise where we have to have this separation. We have to have these delusions and illusions in order to expand into something greater. That seems to be like the the place we even the, uh, like the Aramonic and Luciferic types of principles, you know, some will argue it's like those are literally evolutionary impulses, mm-hmm. right? And somebody, you know, the fact that this whole tribe had a big drought and then they didn't have enough food. So what did they decide to do? We're going to go raid this other village. It's like, well, they, they're not doing that because they're evil. They're doing it because they didn't have enough food because there was a drought. So was the problem that is the problem of the weather or is the problem that these people didn't have a good enough relationship with this tribe so that when they have a drought, this tribe can help them out, right? But after maybe 10,000 years of these tribes fighting now because of this original innocent thing that didn't get sorted out at some point, the tribes go, oh, that's not working. Let's try just working together. You know, and it's, if you look at nature, nature is like a never ending, like highest timeline evolutionary process, right? When you leave a forest alone, it only gets more lush, more beautiful, more diversity, um, you know, healthier, just a healthier system in general, right? Life, life begets life. The impulse of every organism is its own survival. Yeah. Yeah. So there's something about like, how can we look at this stuff or when we see this stuff, whether it's the dopamine traps, these new cultures of social media, digital stuff, how dysregulated everybody is. It's like, there's this choice. We're being offered this choice to make. And it's like, how do I relate to this? How does this, what does this mean to me? And I love that shows like this exist or why I made ritual reboot stuff. Cause it's like most people aren't right now. Most people, if never met with some type of like, Hey, maybe don't take your phone to the bathroom. Like they'll just never take that choice, which is the part that it's like, it, at least that's what it seems like. Right. Hopefully we can, something else gets sorted out, but it's like, we're, we're, individually we're all sitting on that evolutionary kind of like precipice and i don't know if michael said this first or or said something similar but it's like the notion that you're only ever experiencing yourself so it's like i'm not on a pod i'm not experiencing you guys on zoom right now i'm experiencing myself on a zoom call with you guys mm-hmm. and if joel does something it's not that i'm seeing joel do something i'm I'm experiencing my interpretation of what I think I just saw Joel do, et cetera. Right. So it's like, that's where all the power comes from. And people that aren't letting themselves have the choice, like you said, to be like, how do I actually feel about this? What is my opinion about this? Or, oh no, or I don't have an opinion about this. And that's intimidating to me, or that's confronting, like to, to get honest about those feelings too. I think the person who could be the most honest about how much they don't understand some global event could actually create the most productive conversation around it because they're not trying to just, you know, try to just meet some bias or something. Yeah. I had an old friend, um, who recently moved to Israel like a year ago and, you know, we posted our episode with, with, um, Gavin, you know, social media 
and she just came into my DMs and fucking ripped me. Mm. You asshole. You know, like just like went off on me. How dare you multiple times, you know, as if, you know, she knows everything about everything relating to the situation. Um, And, you know, and I obviously felt like the parts of me that came up in different ways. And I was like, how can I just kind of like communicate back, you know, as rationally as I could or just kind of like share a few things and then came at me with like just the same same type of like attack, you know, insults, condescension, um, you know, I think emotional manipulation, you know, Mm -hmm. just like five how dare you's, you know, you broke my heart, you know, all this stuff. And yeah. like, you know, I totally have compassion for her. She's dealing with this and she's experiencing the situation. But like if any person in my life speaks to me that way, like, like, no, we're we're not continuing this dialogue and conversation. There's boundaries yeah. that need to be set. Like, yeah. you know, if you want to, uh, like you said, if you want to approach things with some more curiosity as opposed to like none of that, you know, and just feeling like you, you know the truth. When in reality, mm-hmm. it's like when you're coming from this highly emotionally reactive place, like you're not dealing in truth. You're dealing in your own subjective response, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, especially from a human design standpoint, when you start thinking about like, you know, people that are emotionally defined and then conditioning other people who are not emotionally defined and they're amplifying emotions. And it's just like this cauldron of just like drama um, mm-hmm. and uh, unnecessary reactions now. But that's the world we live in, you know, so it's it's very interesting to think about, like, how can we check ourselves before we fucking wreck ourselves? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. And relationship, we wreck ourselves and relationships because of how we yeah. speak to one another. Yeah, you know, like mm-hmm. I think it's it's uh, it's so. I used to trip out about this years ago, thinking how how default and subtle and normalized certain cultural things are. Like, think of how many homes in the United States you come to. I don't know how much time you spent in the U.S., Joel, but you know, even Mexico, wherever you are, it's like. But it's like. Um, how many houses do you walk into? And as soon as you walk in, the first kind of room or like that entrance way is like the place to put your shoes, right? Maybe it's right outside the front door or right inside the front door, right? That's just the, that's just the place. And it's pretty much expected. Um, and then there's a kitchen where you're eating or, or there's the kitchen where you make the food and then there's the you know dining room or whatever. I've never been to a house that has a uh, tantrum room or a a room to to feel your emotions or to meditate or a room to have some space. It's like just that one option being different could make all of culture different. And I think it's fascinating how disconnected part of the, not, not to keep plugging ritual reboot, but it's like part of my whole secret agenda of that is like giving people that sort of like taste of like, oh, I don't have to wake up and ha- go on my phone and have the coffee and and you know, just start my day anxious and all these things, even though that's literally what people are expecting every day because it's so normal. But like that woman who sent you those messages, like how different would our world be if everyone knew that the moment you're triggered, what you need to go do is actually have the tantrum that's coming through, aka what does every baby in the world do perfectly well? And how long do babies feel upset for when they're upset about something? A few minutes, unless you don't let them have a tantrum or unless you, right? Like it's it's more than a few minutes at times. Well, no, no, I'm being, I'm being, yeah, I'm being, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to make the point that a, a baby, if all of the emphasis is to facilitate what's showing up for the baby, yeah. it's a, it's a pretty, like straightforward process. 
unless you know you're getting in the way or, or or if your first response is oh don't cry don't cry don't cry it's like well they're crying so which should they not be doing that or you know so if someone's upset it's like be upset and be upset and learn how to be upset in a healthy way so that you can then take all that energy and bring it to something productive right something that actually creates like it's so ironic that the force that we need to change all the shitty things on the planet is the force that everybody keeps themselves completely constricted with because we don't feel safe to feel our own upsetness, right? How many people are making these, whatever, uh, like high horse posts about the wars and these things that are going on and aren't actually feeling how they're feeling, right? And how much is that getting in the way of, you know, how productive these conversations could be? And yeah. uh, I, I think uh, uh, people who have such instant access to the gratification, the fact that you could literally see a war post and the very next post see, you know, like somebody's ass or some keto cupcakes or someone's trip to Bali or whatever it is. And the average user is now in that world. Like they actually did. They just let go. They just disassociated from the thing they just saw. And they're now in this next little square. And the effort of one little finger swipe puts you in another universe. Like a big issue with the dopamine thing has to do with the level of effort put into the reward that you get. And that's why when you work really hard all week and then you have like your pizza, beer, and a movie night, you're like, man, I'm a king. This is great. Like, I'm so, I love that I can like, I'm just going to get drunk tonight. I'm, I'm so stoked about that. And it doesn't necessarily have the same damaging effects versus, right? Having a whole week where all you did was feel good by not doing anything. And it's beautiful that humans are built to feel so good. You know, like we're clearly very like sensual, pleasurable beings. And then this fun, cool little hack is like the moment you take that away, you create the other cool thing that about humans is how powerful we are, right? How adaptive we are. It's like, we've been able to survive so many crazy things, not because of how good it felt, but because of how well we performed when we didn't feel good. And I think most people these days don't even know, don't ever get the chance to like find out that part of themselves, right? Or, or the versions that we do find out that don't feel good are completely avoidable in the first place, you know, <laughs> like how, you know, so many impoverished, we literally throw out enough food in the US every year to feed every hungry person on the planet, like twice over. So it's like, nobody technically needs to be hungry, right? So it's like, there's again, this sort of inversion where we could ask those people to like, oh, look at all you hungry people. Why aren't you so tough? Where's you got all this delayed gratification? Why aren't you? Because it's like, that's not self-imposed, right? They're not choosing like fasting a day when you're fasting, you usually feel like a rock star, like on your first day. Cause you're like, man, I'm fat. You like feel good about it. And you're like delaying this thing, but someone who can't eat because a bunch of freaking you know, whatever, some, some oligarchics, you know, statism run, you know, system is ensuring those people don't get the resources they need. That's like this totally like BS version of that. So I feel like if this podcast could be anything, it's like a call to arms to the people who in a sense are privileged enough and have the opportunity to like make things a little tougher for themselves so that they can be like loose. I love the term. I've been lucid dreaming since I was eight. And it's like the idea of how do we get lucid while we're awake? is so fascinating to me. And this seems like one of the ways to do it, right? It's like 
you're either in the dream on your phone, you know, scrolling through the next thing or in the dream of your, your disassociation because you're so drunk or the dream of some fantasy because you're on these pills or whatever you're doing. It's like, are we willing to experience the pain? It's like a pain threshold to become lucid. Because if you, when you get lucid and you look at the state of the world or just yourself, it's pretty intense. And so no wonder we're jumping to all these different things, but it's like there has to be a some sort of force. And I'm very grateful to be a part of it. But And you guys too, where it's like, hey, it is painful. And I, I'm happy to hear you guys out and hold you in your pain anytime you ever need that. You know what I mean? And it's like, if I was too busy, you know, watching my movies and playing my video games and doing drugs or whatever, it's like, I couldn't do that for you guys. And if we need enough people being willing to show up for that, where we can get lucid to what's going on and, you know, make some new choices. Yeah. You know, and pain really can be such a motivator, you know, to make those changes. And so if we are hooked to all these different things that, you know, help us repress all these emotions, like it's, it's tough, you know, but when we take all that stuff away and like you said earlier, man, like I was crying every day at all these feelings that were coming up, you know, then you can take stock in a real personal inventory and what's really happening in your life and, and go from mm -hmm. there. But if, if you're not, if all that stuff's kind of being pushed underneath because every day you're smoking weed, every day you're having that beer, every day, you know, you're jerking off every day, whatever. And it's tough. It's tough to kind of like experience the the reality of what's, what's present. Yep. This, the simplest way to put it, which was what gave me that shift when I did the hundred day detox, I forgot who said this. I should have remembered. It was pretty impactful. But the notion that, you know, if you had a really stressful day and then you clock out of work and then you get drunk for the rest of your day, you didn't actually finish your day. It was you, your actual day was stressful. And then at 6 p.m., it wasn't stressful for the rest of the day because of a artificial influence. And some people do that for 40 years. Some people do that for 80 years, you know, AKA someone who went for 40 years and never finished one day. And sometimes what it takes is to hit that 5 p.m., 6 p.m. mark and not get drunk or not get high or not do the thing and meet what's there to meet you, which is how stressed you were all day and how much you hate your job or how much you are ignoring the fact that you really need to say X, Y, Z to this person and you're too afraid to say it. But then once you get drunk, you just actually think about all the things you love about that person. You forget the fact that they're crossing a boundary and you need to say something, right? It's like there's actually so much waiting there for us. Some people probably can't shit without their phone because actually sitting there would give them just enough time to think about something they really don't want to be thinking about. Exactly. And how can we make a world... And that's why I run the men's group. It's why I have this emphasis on the therapy and the coaching and all this stuff because it's like we're so disconnected from that because we're so disconnected from trial is what it feels like to me. It's like, if you think of the analogy or the literal example that every night used to end with a big fire that your whole tribe is there because you got to be warm. We're all there and we're dancing, we're drumming. There's probably some drinking and smoking too and storytelling and Oh, we had a stressful day of hunting. Great. Let's like tell a story about it. Make all the kids laugh and you know, and it's like, we found a way to actually decompress and regulate and like discharge the tension and the stress that we have all day. And what do we do now? I saw this image recently of someone down on the street, taking a picture of a whole apartment complex and all the rooms are full and everyone's watching the same TV show. 
Well, in every room, and none of them know each other. Like they're none of them are connected to each other. Like they're all living in the same building. They're literally like ten feet away from four different people at all times, all watching, even like watching the same show. And then we wonder why we're so afraid of everybody and and anxious and all these things, right? And it's like what we need is sitting right in front of us. But when we, you know, distract ourselves from what's in front of us by putting something even close right in front of us, our you know phone and our face, whatever it is. We're just missing the, the point entirely. Yeah, and this is this is where like uh, community is so important. I think to help um, you know transmute these traumatic experiences. You yeah. know, and even obviously, I know you're into GNN, but like you know these isolating situations, and so more and more people are isolated. Yeah. So I think that impacts the conflict and the adaptations in the body, and and how that impacts you overall. Whereas massive. If you're with community and you can openly share and express and feel the feelings around something, would they, you know, would they have the same impact? Yeah, it's it's massive. The last time that I quote unquote got sick, and I put that in quotes because I, I feel like we need better, yeah, yeah, words for that now, right? It was after I was I was with a community of people who all we all hadn't seen each other in a while. And we're all part of this like music group and we're singing together and it was so cozy and lovely. And, and then like half of the group came down with some symptoms and knowing what I know now is like, oh, I resolved the conflict being with that group. And what a great place to be sick, quote unquote, than with a bunch of people who could take care of me if I, you know, if something was up, if I didn't get out of bed because I got a fever or whatever. It's like, thank God I'm with community to do that. Right. So there's like this irony too of like, again, when we're given what we need, there is some stuff to confront. So there's like this, this almost unconscious, and I think it's getting so well played now where it's like, it's even right now, the notion of community now has to include, oh, so what do you think about Israel or Palestine? Oh, so what do you think about the vaccines or the not, you know, and it's like all these little elements that kind of have to be or, or 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 being created as a notion of needing to be addressed, which is making us more and more disconnected. So I think this all still, again, ties back to if how do you have a nervous system and a psyche that can hold your own volition to the degree to where you're willing to deal with the consequences? Because enough people willing to do that is going to create a clean system, you know, if like if a bunch of people need to figure out some problem and there's a bunch of opposing views, but everyone cares enough about the problem fix, it's like, let's just go. Like there's just, that's just bring all that force to the table and we'll figure it out. Right. Um, and people who would rather wait and hope that somebody else figures it out because of my new Netflix show just aired, you know, I'm going to go do that instead. It's like, how do we, <laughs> you know, give people a chance to do that. So I hope everybody's li- who's listening at least has had a few moments to consider like, where could I give myself the chance to have a little bit of space from some of these things? Not because they're bad or because they're screwing me over because I'm some addict or something, but because maybe something we said was interesting enough where it's like, oh, maybe I maybe I am missing out on something or, or want to at least expand my perspective, right? Um, in the same value that doing a Going and doing some cool, you know, well-facilitated psychedelic journey or going on a meditation retreat or something. It's like just enough of a change in the environment, in your inputs, in your outputs, um, lets you become more of yourself, you know, putting yourself in scenarios you wouldn't normally be put into. So if you look at 
what's become so extremely normalized in everyone's day-to-day, whether it's waking up, jumping right to your phone, needing coffee just to function, you know, snacking on sugary stuff in the middle of the day because your energy's off when all you had to do was like literally walk around the block for eight minutes and you'd have better energy than the than the candy did, et cetera. It's like giving yourself the 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 gift of kind of doing a little audit of your day and just considering which one what of these things, if they could be replaced or changed or switched out, how could they be? Why would I want to do that? And just like give yourself that chance to like paint a new picture. And um, there's a lot of beautiful things to find on the other side of that. Um, you wouldn't be surprised how many, you know, indecision is an, is like what's, you know, holding most people back. Like anxiety is, is usually just the result of not having not made a decision about something. And it's a lot easier to make decisions about things when your chemistry isn't so up and down all the time from these different things. You can't really outthink your hormones, right? Like- like as men, when you got enough juice in the tank and you're ready to rock and you could freaking build a castle, you could make 10 babies, whatever it is, right? It's like, it's a certain kind of mode you get into that uh, is pretty pervasive and it's pretty like powerful. And, you know, women, there's the whole stereotype of women and their hormones, et cetera. And not because that's disrespectful, but because it's kind of empirical that it deserves a certain holding. So, the way our chemistry is set up and the, the ebbs and flows we're constantly going through, when you're on the up, you're not seeing reality clearly because you have these rose-tinted glasses on. And then when you're on the dip, you're not seeing it clearly either because you're in this deficit feeling. So you could look at something great in the world and not even feel good about it because you're just on a dip from your caffeine from this morning, right? So it's like, how do you find that more even keel approach so you're actually having conversations with yourself and actually feeling what you're actually feeling. And then we all bring that to the table. Well said, bro. Yeah. Let's, let's give it a shot. Let's see how it goes. Stay curious. Y'all stay curious. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, I totally agree with what you're saying. Well, for sure. Nathaniel, man, thank you so much for this past 90 minutes, bro. Loved every yeah, second of this conversation. Um, just in closing, man, you know, give one more, I guess, shout out to, to Ritual Re- Reboot. Um, and for those listening, Nathaniel's offered an exclusive discount code to our listeners, which is TRUTH100. You'll find it in the show notes um, along with the unique link to the program. Yeah. Th- thanks for having me on. I feel like we could go for hours in so many different directions. So uh, I'll do another one. I, I'm glad that, man. Yeah, that'd be great. I, I And I'd love to have you guys on, on, uh, some stuff that I'm doing soon too. I'll keep you guys posted about that. Well, uh, but yeah, thank you for just giving me the chances to speak to these things. There's so many ways to to get into it. I think um, anybody who's interested in Ritual Reboot, just go check out the page, ritualreboot.com. It basically, you know, unpacks everything you would need to know. And it it just works. Like if you're if you're liking the stuff you're hearing on here and would rather just kind of have it all mapped out for you and kind of hold your hand through it instead of like, waking up tomorrow and saying you're not going to do all the stuff and just dealing with that is pretty hard to do. I actually do recommend it still because then you'll just see how hard that is. <laughs> hmm. And um, and it comes with a great community. We have a whole community app and you know just connecting with other like-minded people and um, even getting questions answered. 
if you feel like you're struggling with something very specific that we maybe didn't address, you can hit me up on Instagram, like, or if you want to find out if it's, if it's the right fit, you know, some people are, you know, we've had people come in, in from almost every walk under the sun and get value from this. So whether it's just wanting to be more productive or more focused or not on your phone so much, they're not smoking or drinking or, or sugar in or whatever it is too much. Um, yeah, it could bring a lot for you. So thank you for, you know, giving me the chance to shout it out and nice, connecting with your incredible audience. I know anybody who's listening to this is already privy to these things. And uh, so this is just your invitation to like, see how hard you can go at it and how good that can feel and how much clearer you could feel. Cause there's a lot of clarity yeah. for everybody to get. For sure, man. And I think anyone, you know, who's honest with themselves knows they, there's things that they can tighten up in their life. I know I can. Yeah. So uh, appreciate you, man. Obviously I got deep respect for you. Thanks for all the work that you're doing. And uh, it's just great to have these conversations. Yeah. Thanks bro. Yeah, ab absolutely. Likewise, Daniel's a man of integrity and I think whatever he creates, you know, is going to be pretty groundbreaking as well. Uh, so just one more time, Truth 100s get $100 off his program, Ritual Reboot. You'll find that along with the link in the show notes. Daniel, much love and respect, man. Everyone else, thanks for listening. Take care. Thank you. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms because they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward and never